Well, hey, good morning, Zion. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. You sound as excited as my voice does. <laughs> Let's try that again. We have a 2.34, 5.30, and 7. Invite friends. Uh, really excited for this Christmas Eve. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And on behalf of our staff, our leaders, and all who call this home, we're so glad you're, you've chosen to be with us this morning. We know you could be any number of other places and yet you've chosen to be with us. And we hope that you'll find that this might be a place that you could belong and maybe even call family. Uh, God's been doing some pretty remarkable things. One of the things that I've been so excited to see over the last several months is a lot of new faces, new people coming. And uh, I gotta tell you, God is, has been consistently, I mean, God's always moving, regardless of whether or not we see it or not, amen? God is always on the move. He's always working in things, always trying to, to move within culture, move within the world, move within families, within the church. It's just whether or not we are paying attention to where God is moving is the question. Um, I know this past week we had that uh, derecho storm. Did I say that right? Derecho, is that how you say it? Derecho, what? It? <laughs> derecho, I wasn't even, well, it's kind of close. Um, but here's the thing, while we were not hit very hard in Clear Lake, we got the tail end of it. I know that there were a lot of communities that were hit by this pretty hard. How many of you personally know somebody who was impacted by the storms that just came through because of tornadoes? Okay, so what I'd like to do is just for us to spend a little bit of time in prayer um, for them to, I think in the midst of it, one of the things that uh, we've really been working on developing, Jennifer Colby, our adult ministries director, uh, and Megan, our, our executive director, have been working on, it's called Love This City. And we didn't know how the storms were going to come. I went out and spent like 150 bucks on supplies because I thought for sure we were going to be hunkered down all night. And uh, about 25 minutes later, we all came upstairs and it was heavy winds. But that wasn't the case for everybody. And uh, we were on the get, we were ready to go to love our city if we needed it because we weren't sure of how bad the this, this storm was going to be. And so I think that's a pretty awesome thing to think that we as a community are on the ready uh, in situations like this. However, that being said, we know that there are for sure communities in our surrounding areas that were hit very hard. And my prayer is that the churches there are stepping up and I know individuals here are. Uh, so would you just pray with me for a moment as we pray for those communities that maybe are in need right now? Uh, Heavenly Father, we know between Kentucky and the storms that came through the Midwest this past week, there has been a lot of devastation. There's been a lot of people who have been affected. There were homes that were destroyed, sadly lives that were lost. And, and God, while we don't always understand uh, why things happen, why these storms, these types of things happen, they do. But we know that you have called us as a church, that you've called the church to be prepared to be your hands and feet in those situations. Lord, we do pray for those who lost homes, who lost um pets and livestock and, and other things, God, that you would be with them and that your comfort and peace uh, help us to discern when and how to move and act. And we do thank you that Clear Lake was not hit as hard as it could have been. Uh, in all this, we may not always see your hand, but we know you are working in Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Uh, well, I have to apologize. My voice is still not great. I lost it last week. And, and uh, here's the deal. The, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us that in our weakness, his strength is most known. Amen. And, and so it's not about my presentation. It's not about how dynamic my voice is. It's the power of the gospel that changes lives. I just never want to get in the way of it. Uh, and so my prayer is that hopefully 
as we are kind of wrapping up, I, I started this conversation last week at the end of Galatians chapter three, Paul's desire for multi-ethnic church. And I got a little excited, even though my voice may not have shown it, actually may have sounded more excited because I, I know I was squeaking a little bit, but um, we're going to kind of finish up Paul's conversation and where Paul was going in Galatians. Uh, but I want to bring us back to there. See, here's what we find at the end of Galatians chapter three. Paul is reminding us in verses 26 through 29 that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the same God ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus Christ that we worship, that we model our lives, that we put our hope and trust in, this same God desires to be the God of all nations and all people groups. That this is actually not just a, a social issue, it's a gospel issue, the idea of a multi-ethnic church, and that God desires the church, that means Zion. God desires all churches, but this is our church. God desires our church to be a glimpse of foreshadowing of what is to come, a glimpse of his kingdom come. And we see through the gospel, we see through what Paul is encouraging us, that God did not come to build barriers but to tear them down, and the church must look the same. Unfortunately, the church has not always done a very good job of this. In fact, I would argue that sometimes it's healthy for the church to publicly repent and acknowledge that we've not always done a really good job of tearing down walls, but a better job of putting them up. Uh, I learned that in the, I think it was the 1800s, there was a fight in Zion over whether or not we were gonna use Scandinavian or Norwegian. Did you know this was a real thing? There was a huge fight in Zion about what language was gonna be the primary of our worship over Scandinavian or Norwegian or something like that. And Beth Ann uh, Schumacher, who's on our, our council was sharing this. Division sadly has been a part of the church and this is not unique to our generation. It existed in Jesus's time, it existed in Paul's time. And so Paul is talking about this desire for the church to paint a picture of a very diverse kingdom. That in fact, when we get to heaven, we're gonna find and we're gonna see the beauty of a multicolored, a multi-paletted picture of God's glory. And that the diversity we see in the world and cultures is actually meant to be a beautiful portrait of God's desire for the world. And Paul reveals this in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29. Let me read this again. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now there are three walls that Paul is showing the gospel destroys, that the walls that the gospel tears down. And they're found in these three verses, and it starts off with racism. That in the kingdom of God, there is no room for racism. There is neither Jew nor Greek, black nor white, Asian. That in all people, the division, that division that exists must come tumbling down when the gospel of Christ is rightly proclaimed and understood. Amen? And the church should be leading the way on that. That the church should be going out and proclaiming the beauty of diversity. This does not mean that now all of a sudden we just have one culture but rather we come together and we bring together the beauty of different cultures and the church should reflect that. The second is classism. That's the second wall. When he says slave nor free, rich or poor, 
Now, I, I want to tell you that classism is more than just finances or, or social status. We have sometimes in our own understanding of church different classes. Let me give you an example. I know many single people who feel like the church isn't always for them because we focus so much on marriage. Because almost whenever we do series, we talk about marriage and that's marriage is a beautiful picture. But we worship a God, we follow a Savior who he himself was single. Singleness is a beautiful thing. To be married does not mean you are completely, this isn't the Jerry Maguire thing of, you know, we're, we all need to find that person who completes us. I actually do it the other way. You deplete me. That's, that's my, <laughs> that sometimes we make second class citizens of other people. And it's not always just singleness. Sometimes it's divorce. That some churches, and I'll say, I don't think Zion, I don't think this is an issue here at Zion, but I know some churches that if you're divorced, or if you're struggling with certain sins, addictions, uh, or certain behaviors or beliefs that you aren't welcome to that. I praise God, I've not really seen that here at our church, but we need to continue that. That we need to destroy classism. That here's the thing I learned when, when I first, when we were first moving to Clear Lake, when I was interviewing, here's what I pictured. I pictured a retirement community like Sun City in Arizona. Anybody ever been to Sun City in Arizona? The median age is 73. Like, that's not... We got people driving down the middle of the lane because they can't see over the steering wheel. That's a real thing. And that's what I pictured. And when I came here and what I found was a very affluent culture with a lot of, a lot of money and a lot of generations. We've got young and we've got old. And while we do have a lot of wealth in our community, we also have poverty. We also have people who aren't making a lot of money. And the church should be a reflection of a multi-social, social economic culture as well. Does that make sense? That you don't have to dress a certain way. I've shared this story before. When I was a kid, first coming into church, I remember I wore sweats every day for like a year. I was like a sophomore in high school because they were comfortable. And I remember this, this couple came up to me and this woman was really upset with me because I was dishonoring the Lord for wearing sweats. And this older woman came up and this is what she said to me. She said, Jason, I don't care how you dress. I'm just glad you're here. Ignore that person. They don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes churches can be a place where you can tell the difference between people and that's not the gospel. The gospel, we're supposed to be united around the cause of Jesus Christ, amen? And then the third one is sexism, male nor female. And obviously there's clearly differences in each of these. This doesn't mean we're now gonna have a unisex culture where it's just the, this androgynous humanity. No, there are men, there are women, and there are differences, but that we should not be divided in our differences that there are women who have strong gifts in the Lord and they need to be able to use them. And not every church does that. And I praise God that at Zion, we have women in leadership who are leading well, just like we have men in leadership who are leading well. The church should be a picture of what the kingdom of God is trying to accomplish. And that's my desire for Zion. But here's why it's my desire, because it's God's desire. This isn't about Jason, Pastor Jason, trying to set up some new mission statement. No, this is something that is not new to the church. It has been God's desire since the beginning of time. We see a God who cares about seeing uh, injustice, oppression dealt with. How do I know that? Well, Jesus dealt with it. But even in the Old Testament, 500 years before Jesus in the book of Micah, Micah 6.8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of me, to walk justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
The church should care and model justice and step up for those who are forgotten and left behind. This is what we are trying to be. Now, it feels like there might be that Paul sets up like there's a higher wall and he starts off with racism for a reason. Racism is the most obvious core structure, the scaffolding that upholds the lies of division and oppression and injustice in the world. And then from that, you have classism and sexism. It's not saying that it's more important. It's saying that it is a foundational structure that has been seen throughout history. It was seen back then and it's still seen today. And so we as a church need to be honest about that. And here's the point. You guys ready for this? Here's the big idea in this part. There are no second-class citizens in God. God's kingdom family. Amen. Every person who walks through these doors feels like they can belong, that they might be a home, find a family. This is the gospel. Now I shared last week about this guy, Dr. Derwin L. Gray, who I, I heard and got to speak with just briefly at the Right Now Media Conference. By the way, uh, Right Now Media, if you're not utilizing this gift, the church is paying it's a pretty good chunk of money for this, this thing called Right Now Media. And what it is, it is a free gift that we offer to you. We take the expense so you receive the blessing. And you have all kinds of different Bible studies. They're video Bible studies. How many of you have watched the Right Now Media Bible study? Raise your hand. Are they pretty awesome? They're high quality. They're not lame. If you're like, Jason, I don't know where to start. You can download it for free. We pay the price so you get the benefit I'm going to encourage every person here, check out Right Now Media. In fact, Derwin Gray has an Advent series on this right now. And, and I want to quote a little bit because I was so, I got kind of caught up and I felt really bad for Ashley. It was her, that's Sean's wife, Ashley Lumpkin. She was on slides last week for the first time and I was all over the place. Spirit was moving. That's what happens, right? And, and so I want to quote, I want to share some of the things that I learned from Dr. Gray in his book. And these are things that are not, they're not new to me. This is not a new passion. This is something that I've been passionate about, quite frankly, for decades. But as I encountered and listened to Dr. Gray, as I read his book, and as we've been going through Galatians, I'm realizing just how critical, how important it is that we see God's heart for this multi-ethnic, socially, economic, diverse culture called the church. That God wants the church to look different and he does an exceptional job. And part of what Dr. Gray did is he walks through that this idea of a multi-ethnic church, a diverse church is not limited to the book of Galatians, but rather you see it throughout Paul's writing. And almost every single one of Paul's major books, he deals with this issue of diversity and bringing unity and the fact that our world segregates and, and separates, excuse me. And so I want to share just a little bit because it really does pick us up to the end of Paul's thought, which we're going to talk about today. He quotes from the book of Romans, considered to be one of Paul's greatest works. Uh, this is what he writes, Romans chapter 1. I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, that's the Jews, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Dr. Gray points out this. He says, Paul said he was under an obligation, meaning he had to reach all people, Jews, Greeks, barbarians. Why? Because the gospel demands it. It obliges me to intentionally reach all people. 
If it was true for Paul, it's true for us. We should be reaching all people. And sometimes that's going to make us uncomfortable. First Corinthian, Paul writes, has two letters to this group called the Corinthians. And this is what he writes in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Now this next verse, for years, and I mean up until I read Dr. Gray's book and I looked at it in context, I just couldn't see past my own nose on this because I had been taught it a certain way. See, listen to what he says next. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it? Here's what I was taught, and here's what I taught for years, because what I did is I separated it from the context. That to run the race meant you had to be a faithful Christian. Now, that's true. How many of you ever heard this verse before, run the race? Um, I bet most Christians have. And I was always taught that it means you need to be morally, ethically separated for Jesus, that you need to be faithful. And that's true. But in context to the rest of what Paul is saying, Paul is actually saying, and this is what Dr. Gray points out, for the Apostle Paul, building the multi-ethnic church was a gospel issue. This was the race Paul ran. The race was not just about being a faithful Christian. It was about reaching all people for the gospel. And then in his book, and and he didn't personally challenge me, but I found this challenging This is what he says, pastor, are you running a race that will produce a homogenous, meaning everybody looks the same, local church? In other words, am I about the business of trying to help us become a church who all look the same, who all talk the same, who all, for all matters of points, are the same person? Or am I trying to honor and live out the gospel and be a church and create a church that reaches all types of people? This is what the gospel is calling us to. I didn't grow up with much. I grew up primarily, basically in poverty. I grew up in a single parent home with a single mom who did the best she could to raise me. I grew up in a time when I went to a church where everybody had two parents and I know what it felt like to be on the outside. I didn't feel like I was welcome. My prayer is that we create a church that every person who walks through the doors feels like they might belong. Why? Because this is the gospel, amen? And for some of you, God has given you gifts to steward those to help the church, the kingdom accomplish that. Here's what that means. For those of you who are wealthy, who have more money, how are you stewarding that resource to be a blessing in the kingdom? That doesn't mean you give money away to the poor. Now, maybe God's calling you to do that. But it means how are you helping the church with the resources? Some of you have talents in, in, in music. Some of you have talents in leadership. Some of you have incredible hearts and gifts in the arts. How are you leveraging that so that we might reach different people groups, not just the people who look like you? And that's challenging. That is a difficult thing to do because, let's just be honest, it can be a little uncomfortable, can't it? The church exists in the world to be a microcosm, a small universe into itself, a small example, a picture of what heaven is going to be like. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. In Jesus, 
The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, at first glance, you might read that and go, oh, that's really beautiful. No, 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 no. See, what we don't realize or we might miss is that the temple was the sacred place where God dwelt. For the Jews, there was only one temple of God, and it existed in Jerusalem. For Gentiles, for Romans, they had temples everywhere. But for the Jews, Yahweh, the God they worshiped and served, there was only one temple. And everybody went to go to that temple to encounter God. That's where they offered sacrifices. And in here, Paul says, you, God is raising up the church to be the new temple of the Lord. In AD 70, that temple was destroyed by the Romans. Jesus predicted that, by the way. And now Paul is saying, no, no, no. You're missing the point. You now are the temple of the Lord. You are the place where people will encounter the radical God that you serve and worship. He is joining this temple together. And in him, you two are being built. Now listen to this next word. Together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The key word is that we are supposed to be together united. And then he goes on a little bit later in chapter three, he writes this. His intent was that now through the church, that's Zion, that's every church that proclaims Jesus, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is bringing the church into a world. We exist for a purpose. We exist to show God's wisdom as opposed to the world's wisdom. That we exist, this church, Zion exists. Now I want you to think about this. Uh, Jennifer Colby pointed this out. We are strategically placed as a building, this building right here, literally like in the center of town. We are on Main Street. We have this incredible opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus at a center point. Christmas by the, uh, Christmas by the lake last weekend, low estimates that we had 3,000 plus people who came through our doors. How are we leveraging this space to show the wisdom of God? Look, here's the coolest part. So how many of you guys saw that nine foot 13 tall Santa guy that came in? That dude was a beast. I took a picture with him because I really look like an elf. I have my ears and everything. But like he was tall man. I, we had people who came in through the doors and I remember talking to one, one couple that walked in with their kid and like, this is, they didn't even know this was a church. They didn't know what this was. And then, the, then it was followed by, this is a church? Isn't it amazing how inflection changes everything? We have this amazing gift that God has given us right here. How are we, how are we leveraging it for his kingdom, not ours? How are we loving our city? Every person who walks through by our doors has the opportunity to encounter Jesus. Derwin Gray, Dr. Gray, writes this. The word manifold means many-colored or rich variety. Can you imagine the multicolored Jews, Africans, Greeks, barbarians, Asians, Spartans, Romans, and Arabs reading Paul's letter? when it dawned on them that they are the multicolored wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, which includes angels and demons. Paul creates a picture that Jews and Gentiles represented different colored blocks in God's temple, each color displaying God's glory. 
This multi-ethnic church is something that the gospel has been preaching all along. A multicolored, in that picture, I picture like a Lego house, you know, the one where you don't have all the same bricks. It's a multicolored, multidimensional structure revealing God's glory. Now, I said this last week, we're not trying to do this to be politically correct or woke. For you older folk out there, uh, to be woke is the new young hip, hip people speak for socially aware. I'm woke. <laughs> That's somebody... this is not about being woke culture is just now catching up with what scripture has been saying for 2000 years all the news people all these young people all these movie stars all these people who are saying things that they think are so revolutionary are actually not new at all they've been being preached in the gospel and the heart of jesus for thousands of years the church should be leading the way not following in it Now, uh, a a few months ago, we introduced our new mission and values and kind of the things that we're trying to do, and they're encompassed in three words. Belong, believe, become. Let's say that together. Ready? Belong, believe, become. And these three words are at the heart of what we're trying to become. We want Zion to be the kind of church where you don't have to believe to belong. Now, here's what I mean by that. It means that you don't have to necessarily be a Christian to be a part of our community. It means that you might be struggling with certain sins or that you don't have things figured out. Guess what? Welcome to the party. None of of us have things figured out. That we want to be a place where people walk through our doors, they feel like they could belong here. But we don't want it to stop there. We want ultimately to become like Jesus. Did you know that 94% of local churches in America are not growing? 94%. Nine in 10 churches in America have stopped growing. Now, here's what I mean by that. Growing does not mean someone leaves one church and goes to another. That's not growth according to God's economy. That's just moving money in different bank accounts. Growth in God's economy is when new people come to Jesus and get saved. Now, we are growing. We have people that are coming to faith. Amen? Praise God. 94%, 94%, 9 out of 10 churches in our country, in our city, we have a lot of churches that are not growing, they're slowing. We want to be a church that grows. Why? Well, because healthy organisms grow. The church is not an organization, it is an, organiza- an organism. And the evidence that an organism is growing or is healthy is that it grows. Now, let me clarify what that means, okay? Um, when I was about 10 years old, I went to my mom, who's four foot ten. And I said, Mom, I can't wait to be as tall as you. When I hit junior high and I got as tall as my mom, I went, wow, woman, you are short. And I realized that I was going to be limited in my growth factor. (laughs) Let's just say that my children did not inherit the genetic lottery when it comes to height, okay? And here's my point. Sometimes we associate, we think that growth always looks one way. But I want you to hear this. Numbers do matter. That I want you to look around. See all these empty seats? Every single one of these seats represents a person who does not know Jesus. God cares about numbers. But that's not the only thing he cares about. God also cares that we are growing in our faith, that we are growing in our love, that we are growing as disciples. Does that make sense? 
And so sometimes churches that are, aren't growing, what they'll say is, well, we're growing in discipleship. You know what the evidence that you're going in as a, as a, a disciple is? Is that you're going out into the world. And if you're going out in the world, it means you're sharing the hope of Jesus with others. How many of you by show of hands would agree that Jesus has changed your life? Every Christian, if you're like, I, I don't want to say he has it. I don't <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to share that same hope with somebody else? But Jason, I'm super uncomfortable. I don't know how to talk about my faith. It's not about talking about your faith. It's about inviting people, sharing the love of Christ with them through your life. Yes, we still have to be able to proclaim the gospel. But we first have to love and demonstrate the gospel. That's what belonging looks like. Does that make sense? Do you get what I'm saying? I want to challenge us as a church that we need to start praying for every seat in here. This whole section right here says reserved because we had a baptism. I would love to see it reserved for every new person who steps through our door. But you want to know why people come? It's because someone invited them. And you know how you invite people? It's usually not by inviting them to, to your church. It's about inviting them into your life first. We don't have a culture anymore where you can just go, hey, you want to go to church? Most, most people will be like, eh, maybe. But you want to invite people? You know how many people I know who are struggling to find a friend group? who are struggling to find community and connection? What if we started going out into Clear Lake, into Mason City, Garner, Ventura, Forest City, wherever we are, and started first just going out and meeting people where they were? And then we start inviting them to Jesus. See, God wants to grow and change. One last quote from Dr. Gray. This statistic means that more and more people in America don't know the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. This fact will increase divorce, addiction, injustice, greed, sexual immorality, idolatry, oppression, and a multitude of other sins that destroy people's lives. We need evangelistic local churches fueled by Christ followers who see themselves as missionaries. We need good news local churches filled with good news people. Now, I want to complete Paul's thought that we left off last week that I didn't get to get to because of just time. Now, here's one of the problems. If you open up your Bible, you're going to see these chapters and verses. Now, here's the thing. None of those chapters and verses and headings existed. When Paul wrote his letters, when the Gospels were being written, when Moses was writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, there were no chapters and verses. It was just one story, one scroll. That's it. We added, hundreds of years later, they added them in because it's a whole lot easier to go, hey, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, than it is to go, Go about like three quarters through the book and look for this word. That's why we have them. But here's the problem. When they put in those divisions, when they put in those chapters, those chapter headings, sometimes, sometimes we miss the bigger picture. We miss ultimately what Paul or Moses or anybody else was trying to write, what the Holy Spirit was trying to say. We put a division in where division wasn't needed. This is one of those examples. See, we can end up Galatians chapter 3 and assume that that's the end of Paul's words that he starts. And I'm going to read this one more time. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now my Bible then says, next chapter, chapter 4. When you read a book, what does it usually mean when you go to the next chapter? It means the previous chapter's done. That's not the case here. Listen to what Paul says next. 
What I am trying to say is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Paul is going on to say, no, this is still connected. Uh, how many of you remember when you were a little kid, and I mean like 10 years old, you remember the first big birthday after 10? What, what, what year was it? 13. Because at 13, you were now a teenager. And then when you were 13, what was the next big age you wanted to get to? 16, because at 16, you could drive. And then when you were 16, you couldn't wait to be 18, because then you could vote. You could join the army. And then at 18, you couldn't wait to be 21, because then you could legally drink. For me, I didn't have my first drink until I was 22. I've never cared that much about alcohol, but everybody else was like, 21, woo, I can do it legally now. <sighs> I'm glad some of you caught that. <laughs> and then once you're 21, like I thought that was adulthood, and then I realized I couldn't rent a car until I was 25. You can't, you can drink, you can do all those things, but you can't rent a car until you're 25. But did you know there's another big age after 25? 55, because that's when everything is half price, baby. Booyah. Like I'm going to Denny's. I'm driving to the nearest Denny's so I can get my 55 and over. That's like seven years away from me. I cannot believe that. I don't feel 55 or I'm not 55. That's why I don't feel that way. I don't feel 46. But here's Paul's point. He's using an illustration that we all can relate to. He's trying to point out something that all human beings go through. We all have these rites of passage. And in this case, he's talking about heirs. And he's saying, listen, you might inherit a property. And yes, in that world, that meant slaves, which is wrong. Paul just addressed that, right? You might inherit it, but according to Roman law, you cannot actually own it. It's not actually yours until you're 25. Until that time, you have guardians that are in place because you're not ready to deal with the responsibility. Paul is bringing this back to the Jews and saying, listen, the law was God's way of saying you had all the promises, you had the inheritance, but you needed the law to protect you because you weren't spiritually mature enough to handle it yet. Some of us here in this room, you've been Christians your entire lives, but you got emotionally, spiritually stunted in your growth. And because of that, you need God's laws more than you need the gospel. You need someone to protect you from yourself. But Paul is saying that in Jesus, that when you have the gospel, when you inherit the gospel, you have full access to it. And when you are spiritually mature, when divisions cease, when the church starts to look more like the kingdom of God and less like the kingdom of man, that's when flourishing really happens. Does that make sense? Some of us in this room need to be reminded that all the riches of God's kingdom belong to us here and now. And then Paul goes on to say this really weird phrase, and I want to just, I mean, honestly, I could do an entire series on this next couple words, but listen to what he says. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That's really weird language. Like, nobody talks like that now. But here's essentially what it means. In Paul's time, they believed that there was a cosmic reality that there was an unseen reality, that there was a battle between evil forces and God's forces. Now, in our Western sensibilities, sometimes we forget that there is a real enemy, that Satan is real, and that this cosmic battle still goes on. 
But here's what Paul is getting to, is that a lot of the lies that we see happening in our culture, a lot of the things that we see happening that we're going, I can't believe that's happening. It's because these elemental spiritual forces are influencing, orchestrating, and directing lies within the culture. And sadly, some of those have invaded the church. We need to come to the gospel. We don't look to man's wisdom. We don't look to the wisdom of of other philosophers. We look to Jesus as the ultimate embodiment of wisdom. And if the church begins to look like this, well, this is what Paul says in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, the world wants us to trust in its reason and wisdom. And the Bible is telling us, no, we trust in the wisdom of Jesus. And that's going to look different than the world. And examples of this are this, me-centered, individualism, racism, classism, sexism. Paul is ultimately saying that immature people, Jew and Gentile alike, are given over to, are led by, and held captive by a worldly way of thinking that focuses on differences rather than being united in Jesus, which is why they, why we, you and me, we need God's laws to protect us from ourselves, but ultimately we need the gospel to bring us home. And then Paul ends this in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I love this next part. Oh, it's so good. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that, they we, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, let me be clear here. That doesn't mean you ladies now all of a sudden become spiritually men. Sons in the ancient world had higher privilege, higher rights. Paul is using something everybody understood when he says adopted to sonship. In the ancient world, it was centered around men. First, men had all the rights. Women couldn't even own property. Men had all the rights. But it wasn't just men. It was the firstborn man. The firstborn male inherited everything. When Paul says that now through Jesus, we all become spiritually adopted heirs of Christ, here's what Paul is essentially saying. You get all of the rights, regardless of whether you are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. This is actually Paul turning over the tables of differences, but this isn't unique to Paul. This is something that God has been doing since day one. We have a God who is revolutionary, countercultural. Let me give you a quick example, okay? The world wisdom says that the firstborn, firstborn male gets property. The firstborn is the chosen. Firstborn gets everything. Now check this out. If you read the Bible, the story of the Bible, which many of us have not learned how to do, you're going to see a revolutionary God. See, God did not choose Cain over Abel. Cain was born first, but it was Abel's sacrifice God chose. Ishmael was born before Isaac, and yet God chose Isaac to bring the hope of the nation. 
It was Esau who was born before Jacob, and yet God blessed Jacob, turning him eventually into the nation of Israel. Joseph was the youngest of all of his family, and yet God would use him to deliver his own family and all of Israel during a famine. God did not choose the firstborn male. He chooses who he wants. God chose Moses, the younger brother of Aaron. God chose the young shepherd boy, David, over his older brothers and even over the first king, Saul. And God is going to turn the church over Israel. Some people don't like to hear that. Israel is still God's people, but God has raised up the church as the second born, which is now made up of Jew and Gentile, not just one people group, but all people groups under the banner of Christ. Adam was the firstborn son who brought sin into the world. And now Paul tells us in Corinthians that Jesus became the second Adam even though he really was before Adam originally, salvation would come through him. Here's my point. When you understand scripture, you'll see just how revolutionary God's kingdom has always been and still should be. And I want to leave you with this. I'm going to invite the band up. Listen to these last words from Paul as he closes off this thought in Galatians 4, 6 through 7. Because you... Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat. You pick whatever separation you want to put up. Because you are sons, his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has now made you an heir. An heir to the kingdom of God. The rights, the riches, the blessings of God are for all of us. Now here's why I say this. Remember our three values. We want people to feel like they can belong so that ultimately they might put their trust in and believe that Jesus is worthy of our praise, worthy of our following, but more importantly, that we might become like Jesus. Not just that we stay in the same habits, the same place that we were before, but that we might look different, be different, that we would surrender our whole life to Christ. That's what God's invitation is for you here and now. And when you do that, you move from belonging to a church to belonging to the church, to God's kingdom, God's royal and holy family. I want to invite you to stand with me and I'm going to give you a challenge. How are you living out God's desire for you to be his hands and feet in the world? How are you showing the kingdom riches in your workplace? How are you showing God's grace and mercy and love? How are you being the hands and feet of Jesus wherever God takes you? As we come to offer our, our tithe and our offering, as we come to offer our last song of worship, let us be reminded that God starts a revolution first in you before it goes out into the world. Amen? Amen. Let's come and worship and bring our tithes and offerings.